Hello ladies and gents and welcome to the AJ Roberts show. Today we are joined by none other than the famous Matthew Letizier. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks mate, good to be here. It's a bit of a different setting today guys. Our, uh, the studio at my place is just getting done up so uh, we're borrowing this space just for today but I wanted to get Matt on the show as soon as possible to talk uh, about his journey over the last couple of years um, and where his sort of journey started and where he comes from uh, on all of this, but also the main issues that we're seeing at the moment, like especially in the sporting world, um, which are quite alarming and can end up you know, negatively affecting a lot of people. Um, so Matt, uh, obviously your personal journey um, through like many others over the last couple of years, uh, started way back what, March sort of 2020. Um, but for the benefit of the, the viewers and listeners um, who haven't really seen much of you because they're not football fans, yep. um, is like to just give a bit about your background and where you come from? Um, yeah, so I, I spent 17 years as a professional footballer. Um, grew up in Guernsey, uh, moved to Southampton in 1985. Um, had my entire uh, professional career and then went into working in the media from 2002 onwards uh, until um, late August 2020 um, which uh, was an interesting um, scenario where I lost my job um, obviously the, the pandemic started in 2020 uh, in March and very early on in that I had my doubts as to what was really going on. Mm. Um, I think the first thing that started those doubts in me was seeing the videos from China where people were just falling over in the yeah, street, yeah, exactly uh, the same. looking yeah. completely uh, inauthentic. And I looked at those videos and went, well, that ain't real. Uh, there's just a, you know something in your gut that tells you there's yeah, something not right about that. People don't fall over like that. Uh, and I've never seen anybody since then who uh, caught COVID who fell over like that in the street. Mm. Um, so I think I was pretty correct to be sceptical about those. Uh, and and they were the images that kind of kicked everything off. Mm. Um, and yet when you look back now, nobody mentions them. Uh, and nobody mentions the fact that nobody else in the whole world has ever fallen over like that in the middle of a street. Yeah. Um, and yet that was the thing that all kicked it all off. Mm. And you just go, something's not right here. So that was that was kind of the first thing for me. Um, and then early on, I spoke to a couple of doctors who were aware of the situation and what was going on and and the type of people that were affected by this virus. Um, and they were the elderly or people with, with comorbidity. So it wasn't actually that dangerous to healthy people, mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, and so I, I, f I felt early on that there was a massive overreaction to, to, to it by the governments and and then I started thinking, well, well, why? Why Why is there an overreaction? And then because we then got locked down, you had a lot of time in your house with nothing to do. Uh, so I just thought oh, I'll just have a, a little look around and, and investigate what was going on um, with all the people that were involved in the pandemic. Um, you know, suddenly all these, all these people came out of the woodwork that you'd never heard of before. So, you know, Anthony Fauci, uh, people like that. Um, you know, obviously Bill Gates had been around for a long time, and there'd been um, I'd heard stuff about Bill Gates. I hadn't really taken a lot of notice about it. Mm. Kind of getting on with my life, just um, uh, and then all of a sudden you you, see, you saw what was going on in the world, and you see that there's you know the Johns Hopkins University that were funding uh, that were that were uh, collating all the data around COVID nineteen. Uh, and, and there was all sorts of stuff, all people involved in it. Uh, and I'd, as I said, I'd heard the rumours about Bill Gates. So I thought, I'm just going to go on the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation website and have a look around. Um, so I did that. Uh, and I was, I was amazed to find that all these people that were involved in the pandemic, the WHO and all that stuff, all those people were beneficiaries of money from this foundation. Mm -hmm. And I was like... Well, that's a bit of a coincidence. Well, then what are they all doing? It? And and my mind, I've always been a bit uh, sceptical of, of, you know, people in power and corruption and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm thinking, no, that's too much of a coincidence. There's too much going on here. Um, uh, and then it kind of led you on to the, the World Economic Forum and what they stood for and what mm -hmm. they were trying to do, agenda 
2030, uh, Agenda 21, um, and you were like, uh, okay, this is this is too much. There's too many coincidences for this not to be something that's that's a little bit below the belt here. There's something going on here that's not quite right, and that's where um, it all started for me with with questioning the narrative, uh, and probably ended up uh, led to me losing my job at, at Sky. So the timing was uh, quite crucial then. So you were already looking heavily into it before you actually parted ways with Sky. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I had been um, quite critical of the of the narrative that was going on. Um, what in what I thought was a balanced uh, was a balanced way. Um, you so know, debate not, which has been the absence of obviously. Absolutely, um, and I just. I just wanted to see both sides of the story before making up my mind, but I wasn't allowed to because we were only getting given one side of the story on the mainstream media. And that's when I, I stopped listening to the mainstream media a long time ago and I went looking for alternative sources of, of where I get my news from, mm. um, independent sources who aren't uh, tied to any specific organisations. Um, and that's when kind of a whole new world of information yeah, yeah. opens up to you yeah, and yeah. you suddenly go, oh my God. All yeah. this stuff that's been going on, and you never get to hear about it if you only listen to mm. the BBC or Sky News and all that yeah, stuff, yeah. which which are heavily funded by Bill and Melinda Gates, Funny and that. the British government. <laughs> yeah. It's um, and it's it's also linked, isn't it? And even what we're seeing like today, like with everything that's going on with Russia and Ukraine, just how much the BBC and Sky are like using all the old footage they're using. It's just it's, like, blows your mind, doesn't it? It, it is incredible, um, you know, and. If you if you talk to if you talk to people about crisis actors um, and point out this this stuff that actually that picture that they're claiming is like from from this war that was taken like four years ago yeah and people still go oh right yeah they're just using a picture You're like mm, yeah does that not make you a little bit suspicious about why they're using a picture from four years ago and not one mm. with all the technology that we've got available now why yeah. couldn't they get a picture from from Kiev yeah. Um, yeah, and you're like Come on, please. Do some do some critical thinking and yeah. and just just make yourself think that possibly there's something else at play here. Um that I think that's why we've been dumbed wrong. down though, haven't we, over time. So it's all by design. So um talk about it often how society have been kind of dumbed down at like en masse. So like our our level of vibration and uh consciousness has been caught brought down to a much lower level because once that's there it's a lot easier to indoctrinate fear, yeah. Um, which then and confusion, which then people make different or silly decisions on, which we've seen on mass across the world. Um, obviously, we talk about critical thinking, uh, and there's been a sincere lack of, but then we've mm. got a lack of debate, yeah. And then with that consciousness level being lowered, it also comes with a lack of asking the right questions, which people haven't been doing. Um, and that's all a lot of us have asked since day one is just ask yourself better questions. It's not yeah. trying to poke someone and say, ha ha, I told you so. Um, it's all been about trying to show people what is actually generally happening, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think that's the that's the way forward to, to try to get people to understand what's going on is to just get them to try and think as opposed to tell them mm. stuff. Yeah. Um, because uh, I, I think in that, in that way they can then... Uh, they can find it for themselves um, as opposed to it just blindly trusting somebody. So yes. uh, so if, if somebody if they've blindly trusted the, the mainstream media uh, and and yet somebody else is on the other side going, well actually what what they're saying isn't quite true. Um, but I'm not going to tell you what's going on the other side of it. I wanna I want you to go and have a look and see for yourself if what I'm saying is true. I'm not telling you it's true. Mm. I want you to go and have a look and go, right, I'm going to tell you this. Now I want you, don't believe me, I want you to go off and go and have a look around mm. and see if what I'm saying makes any sense to you. Uh, and I think when you do that to people, I think it, it makes them far more receptive uh, to that information if they go out and look for it themselves. Mm. No, absolutely, I totally agree. And I actually find it quite interesting how... The amount of people who didn't do that during the last two years with like COVID and stuff like that suddenly are with what's going on like far, quite far away in Ukraine and Russia, you know. But they're, 
they're, tr they're trying to do their research and get involved from that aspect. Um, but then when it comes to their own health, you know, and decisions, you know, the last couple of years, it's that, you know, th those, that critical thinking has just not existed. Yeah. Um, and I, like, I think it's very important that, you know, that's how we help people is getting people to think differently because the level of your thinking is naturally corresponds to the level of your life, you know, and that's, that's a given. Um, so from, from that aspect, from your experience, obviously being in, in the football industry for many years and the conversations you've no doubt had over the last couple of years, is that what you're kind of seeing in the football industry in terms of like players are just, you know, told basically, look, shut up, get on with the game. That's it. Um, I mean, from what I can see, I mean, I don't, in, in two years now, I don't think I've seen a single... Premier League footballer come out and question anything that's gone on. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that to me says only one thing, um, and that is that they are they have been instructed by their clubs to not say anything, mm. to just shut up and say nothing at all. Don't be, don't be controversial. Don't go against the narrative. Um, uh, because it just doesn't make sense because with all those players um, now there's got to be I don't know, 500 players mm -hmm. in, in the Premier League um, you can't tell me that out of those 500 that not one of them is looking at it and going something's a bit funny going on here um, because that wouldn't be representative of society as a whole mm. uh, Would you think the amount of players that we've seen um, coming off the pitch and been out of the game for a while due to sudden like heart problems, not just in the Premier League, but I mean, we're seeing cardiac arrests happening all over the world. Yeah. Um, there was even there was four players in the Australian Open in the tennis that had to come off, which is all all four with heart problems. Yeah. Um, and even people in the stands in tennis, which is something that you've, we've never seen on a scale like we're seeing now. I, mean, I don't know. People's argument is. Oh, it's only because they're paying attention to these people now and they're stopping the game now, you know, which is the argument every time, but not on the scale that we're seeing. Like, no. if, you put, if you plot it on a graph, and there's plenty of evidence out there, you can see it on these graphs, the rate at which this is happening to sports personnel has gone through the roof, like, yeah. worldwide. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think you've got to be a genius to see that. Uh, I mean, I watch a lot of sports. I don't just, I, I'm not just an ex-footballer who just watches football. I watch a lot of sport. Uh, it's been my whole life, and um, I've never, in my in my whole time watching sports, seen so many fit young athletes collapse on on their sports fields. Mm. It just didn't happen. I spent seventeen years as as a professional footballer. I didn't see one in seventeen years, not on not a teammate on a pitch, not an opposition player on a pitch, and not a teammate in training in seventeen years. Of training five days a week, mm. did I see one player come off with a heart condition and not be able to train or play any longer? Um, and so to now watch and, and see what's going on, uh, for people not to question it and not to not to think that we need we need to have some answers here. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know a hundred percent what's causing it. You probably have a fair idea. Um, but the thing that concerns me the most is that nobody in a position of authority is going, hang on a minute, there's a bit of an increase going on here. Why don't we investigate? Why We need to, we need mm. to find out why this is happening. And the fact that none of these people in positions of authority at the PFA or the FA or the Premier League, UEFA or FIFA have looked at it and gone, I mean, we need to we need to do something about this. We need to because you questioned this, didn't you, on Twitter? And was it the FIFA FIFA Pro? FIFA Pro came, uh, yeah, basically I, made I, a response, didn't they? I did, yeah. I questioned FIFA Pro with the uh, the Worldwide Players Union uh, as to you know were, were they a bit concerned about what's happening to their members on football pitches, um, and, I, and I got a response back uh, because the chairman of FIFA Pro um, was uh, somebody who I used to play against in my career. And he rang me up about 20 minutes after the tweet and, and you know, wanted to have a chat with me <laughs> to try to convince me that what I was seeing with my own eyes wasn't real. And that um, actually, yeah, we, what you're seeing, it always happens. You just haven't noticed it before. 
Um, now, I, I ain't a stupid human being. Um, I've watched a lot of sport. I know this is not the same as what has gone on before. I know there have been isolated incidents. I've seen them. I've not seen this volume of incidents on football pitches, and so I would not allow myself uh, because to be told uh, by somebody that what I was seeing with my own eyes was wrong. Uh, I don't accept that. I, I listen and I watch. Uh, and if I see things with my own eyes, then <laughs> somebody telling me that I'm what I'm seeing isn't real. I'm sorry, mate, but uh, you're deluding yourself if you think that this is the, the same as whatever happened in the 17 years that I was a professional footballer, which I never noticed. Mm. So, yeah, that was... Uh, that was shocking and to me all these organisations not wanting to know what's going on tells me one thing and that is they know what's going on and they don't want to find out mm. well I think they know what's going on but I think if you well can see see the big picture in terms of how much financial implication there would be if one did say it or a player did say it um, and then obviously if, if a player, for example, is talking of the danger of these medical interventions, um, all the youngsters all the way up who follow that team and that player suddenly start asking questions. Next thing, you've got the sponsors saying, we're pulling the plug because you've breached your contract. Mm -hmm. And then it all comes down to like that one player saying that one thing. So it'll very more likely be on the lines of those kind of things and affecting their contracts. But yeah. like I said, the big boys at the top who make the decisions... Like the fact that they've not come out and says yet yeah, we 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 acknowledge there is a problem, and we are looking into it. Like that's not hard, is it? Why why would you not come out and say that? Absolutely. Why would you not do that? Um, you know, and that just makes makes it worse. For people them. more suspicious. Yeah, it makes them makes them look like they've got something to hide. Yeah, I mean, and I that's mean, the worst bit about it. I mean, the French tennis player the other day said that he's not playing in the U.S. Open, is he? Because he's got heart complications. Yeah, Gael Monfils. Yeah. From uh, from having his booster, yeah. Um, so he's you know he's been totally honest and open about it. Um, but again, I said like individual singles tennis players aren't within a big team, are they? As no. such, and as, as we see with obviously uh, with Novak, um, which which is another big conversation in itself. Yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously, this whole journey for you has been like huge in the last couple of years. Um, so maybe I don't know, I don't know how you look at it, but you've come away from Sky Sports, perhaps there's been a blessing in disguise for what you've you know, been able to do along your own journey and perhaps projecting future plans. Um, yeah. And I think when things do come good, which they will, I think you know, many people are going to look to the likes of yourself and others who have you know, been very open and not worried about the, you know, the, the, uh, the comeback on it. Um, what's, how's your family been throughout the, this whole process for you? Because obviously <laughs> being, a, being a celebrity football player, um, you know, you get a lot. Of, you get a lot of praise, but then you also get a lot of flack as well. I mean, you get trolled like hell on Twitter. Yeah, um, which is comical. Uh, some of the things I read. <laughs> um, but how, how's your family been with it all? Um, I think uh, eighteen months ago they thought I was a bit of a nutter. Um, <laughs> uh, I think in the last few months, I think they've started to understand more where I'm coming from mm -hmm. um, as things have panned out. Uh, uh, I've The thing is, I, I've been consistent with my views throughout. Mm -hmm. I haven't changed. Um, and as the evidence changes around us, then what, I, what I've stood for has made more sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, it was it was tough for my immediate family when I was getting all the, when I took my stance and I was getting a load of abuse for it, uh, they obviously um, didn't like that I was uh, getting lots of abuse. Uh, and they also, you know, were very much uh, um, conforming to what the narrative was um, and, you know, following all the rules and all that stuff. Um, but I think they've they've realised over time that, uh, I'm I'm not a nutter. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Uh, I like to call myself a conspiracy realist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because <laughs> every single one's come right. Isn't because it? yeah, I mean, all the people that I was listening to uh, two years ago, um, all the stuff that they were saying, uh, 
they were it, it was all coming through in real time and um and i think as more and more of that stuff came started to come true people started to look back and go oh actually yeah maybe maybe he knew what he was talking about well a lot of the media are doing that at the minute aren't they? there's a few sort of like uh, tabloids that are sort of like trying to reel back a little bit absolutely you know, take yeah. cover uh, and say so it's not all us um you know i've seen loads of things from the daily mail and stuff like that saying that like well, oh, well actually it turns out that all these um test results weren't actually valid which put us into lockdowns yeah you know which sacrificed nearly three hundred thousand businesses forever livelihoods families all the relationships modeling that was going on and yeah it's just i don't know the pcr tests yeah i don't see know, how people can find that fraudulent pcr test uh, no i i don't uh, and there's people these people have to be held account because if you don't hold these people to account now and they and they aren't charged mm. uh, and aren't prosecuted they'll do it again they'll, they'll, they'll still be, be there at the top it's all right fixing they'll the be problem back. yeah they'll be back and they'll do it again mm. um uh, and so you have to you have to make sure these people pay for what they did to society mm. what would you like to see in terms of um obviously let, let, let's say we that happens you know these people are in public office that have carried out a large number of, of crimes mm-hmm. because they have the evidence is there it's plain to see yeah um what would you like to see in, like if, if they were to be prosecuted prosecuted would you like to see just like another party come in or would you like to see a completely different reshape of like how government looks i, I think i'd like to see a, a reshape of how government looks uh i think the whole um political system is farcical quite frankly uh <laughs> i i see no difference between the conservative or the labor party i think they're both uh manipulated by the same people above them mm-hmm. um so I, I think the system needs to be brought down yeah uh and rebuilt to make it a true democracy where the people are in charge um, and they're not answerable to a set of people that are above the government, mm. um, which over the last couple of years has been pretty clear to me that that is happening in this country. And, and I don't think mm. we have a shadow government, don't we? We do. We, I don't think we can accept if we're going to move forward from this and, and learn from what's happened the last couple of years. Uh, I don't think we can accept doing the same thing over and over again because the same thing will happen over and over again. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the biggest um, things to take away is that as a nation, we have to collectively refuse to ever let this kind of stuff happen again Yeah. Um, where the very people that you elect into office don't do the opposite of what they're... You know, they're not they're, there to serve the yeah. people. Um, you know, it's been quite obvious that they are there to serve their masters mm. um, and you know they've they've let the people rot in hell basically mm. um uh, all for the financial benefits of uh of the people in government and and those people above government you mm. know all the all the contracts that they were handing out to their mates um you know it's just absolutely sickening the amount of people that have made millions upon millions of pounds worth of money at, at the expense of the good people of this country and it's a joke yeah, I mean the number of millionaires over the last two years has almost doubled, isn't it? Like uh, in the in the UK alone, um, and well, you know, not only to people to their mates, but you've got to look as close as the Sage Group, who brought the, the Nudge Group in to yep. study the whole British population, like five or six years before this even started, um, and the fact that all of the members of Sage Group pretty much have got vested financial interest in the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Uh, and these are the people, like from day one, that you you know we're all told that that our politicians are taking advice from. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not just here that the, the same things happen. It's exactly the same in Australia uh, and New Zealand and Canada and the United States, where people in public office. Uh, I use New South Wales for example. The the health minister there, her husband's a massive stakeholder in Pfizer. You know, it's just it's massive it's, conflicts of interest which ev- everywhere just, around the country. Everywhere, everywhere you look, yeah. uh, whether it's here. US, Canada, or whatever it may be. Um, and I think what should be pretty alarming to people is the fact that we've had two years of, you know, back and forward hell, right? Like on the bus, off the bus, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. And then all of a sudden, things happen in Russia and Ukraine. And the same day, it's like, yeah, we drop everything. 
Right on that day as well, wasn't it? Right and on it, the day that we had all the restrictions come off. Yeah. The war starts. And you're like, oh. Exactly. And I think, again, funny, when you talk it? about questioning things, yeah, that the fact they can just drop everything when it was only six weeks before, they are literally like, guys, cases are doubling yeah. every day. Omicron's rife. Omicron is scary. If you, if you don't if you don't want to die, get boosted. And then six weeks later, it's like restrictions all down and there's no talk of any of it. It's all it's all all pointing to Russia being some psychopathic enemy. Yeah. Here's the new scary thing that we need you to be scared about. Don't worry about the other stuff now. This is it. Whatever. So you, you just have to wonder. That, yeah. That's that's kind of how I look at it now. Is when the mainstream media want you to look somewhere at something, uh, that automatically now makes me go right. They want me to look over there. What they're doing over there? Yeah. Um, because that's what they don't want you to know about, mm-hmm. um, and and you you see all the stuff that our parliament are trying to uh, get through with new laws and bills of you know the the policing bill, the, the online harms bill, the human, human rights, rights human bill, rights bill, and you just think, wow, that that's what they're mm. is that what they're trying to hide from the public? Don't worry about those bills; we're going to get them through quietly while you're watching what's happening in in Ukraine over there. Yeah, exactly. Um, all whilst people are going about their everyday business with these lowered restrictions because on average, and I learned this from the very same people who studied our population, on average it takes um, 90 days roughly for a society to forget about a major incident. So, like, no one's talking about the Manchester bombings, right? Yeah. No one's talking about a lot of stuff. No one's talking about how lockdowns really, you know, so it takes about 90 days for society to do so. So if you think 90 days from now, people are going to pretty much forget about COVID and all of a sudden, bam, it'll be, well, we need to learn from the last time. And as Matt was saying then about this human rights bill they're trying to put through is basically rewriting human rights declarations, human rights acts, so that... to be allowed, So you can be allowed to be yeah. vaccinated, yeah, mandated, yeah. mandating vaccines. Yeah, so you can actually be mandated for, for the greater good. Basically, putting the the rights of the group before the rights of the individual. Yeah, which is a scary place to be. Exactly, um, and I know there's a lot of good work going on at the minute. People are actually doing, trying to do something about it, and it has been it has been the case all the way along. You know, you've got the Together Declaration. Uh, a number of other key influencers now have been doing fantastic work to bring a lot of these um, potential horrible events to the forefront so people can fully understand them what we're potentially walking into. So it's a case of po- pointing out the bear trap every time, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, just getting ahead of the uh, getting ahead of the curve and making sure everyone's aware of, of what's going on and what they're trying to do to uh to restrict your freedoms as a as a human being. Yeah. Um and I think that you know the key word there, freedom, has been the one thing that should, you know, be on the tip of everyone's tongue at the minute, especially if you've been paying attention to what's been happening in Canada, um, New Zealand and Australia yeah. where there's been heavy protests, truckers' protests, but they've had military-grade uh, EMF weapons used on their own people. Again, this hasn't been shown in the mainstream media over here. <laughs> it's, it's incredible what's gone on, and it's incredible, actually, what the amount of people that don't know what's gone on. Uh, I think that's the more worrying thing, is that, um, you know, you talked about those, those EMF. Um, I, I mentioned those to my mates. And they all look at me like I'm some kind of weirdo. It's like, what are you on about? Police wouldn't do that. <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, and the whole situation in Canada with the with the truckers, and then anybody who donated money towards the Canadian truckers, they went and hunt them down and froze their bank accounts. What happened to one of my clients? She donated fifty dollars to GoFundMe, and she had a bank account frozen. No way. Yeah. Wow. I mean, just. I mean, if that doesn't frighten people. Then mm. my God, I don't or show know people that cashless society is a bad thing. Cashless society is a horrific, horrific thing um, because all it does, and it, you know, is just give the government uh, control over anything that you can spend your money on, and they can take it away. As has been proven in Canada, at the flick of a button, you have no access to your funds mm-hmm. just because you donated. Five dollars to the Canadian truckers. Honestly, if that doesn't scare the shit out of you, then nothing ever will. Yeah, I know. Again, it's people don't know what they don't know. So this is why I think it's so important that 
influencers and uh, you know corporations and and groups really help people and show you know showcasing to the forefront of th- this news is happening it is out there this is actually like the real deal mm-hmm. um, and it's just a case of people being more receptive to it and more open-minded isn't it because a lot of people do like just to shut the blinkers down unfortunately we live in a world where because of how it's been run some people just like being governed yes yeah I think we've uh, I think we've seen that uh, with the amount of people that you know won't take off their masks now even though they're not Mm. mandatory Uh, I still see people walking outside with their mask on which Mm. has never ever (laughs) had any basis in scientific reasoning to think that that might help you in any way shape or form Mm. Uh, and yet you're still seeing people walking down the street with a mask on I just want to go really you're not Mm. you're not learning anything from the last two years have you just got your well I think for me personally I've said it on a number of podcasts is like um, the elderly uh, who are in those kind of situations. It's been one of my biggest beefs is the fact that they've grown up all their life just like watching BBC and stuff, right? And I was literally saying it to my wife this morning that because of the advancement of technology and how quickly it's moved, like, you know, to, from computers to mobile phones to gaming to apps and everything else like that, the speed at which it's happened, even as a someone of a younger generation has trouble keeping up with it all. Yeah. For the older generation, they just have no idea. So yeah. what will they do? They go back to what they feel comfortable with, which is like, news in the morning, news at lunchtime, news in the evening. So they still think there's this deadly thing going on. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got 80-odd-year-old veterans, like, you know, getting their, getting their army kit out of their garage, they're thinking they're going to war Russia. Um, and and, and it's, they're the people I feel really sorry for because they're the amazing people who have built yeah. our country up to what it is. You know, continuously paid their taxes their whole life and they're then put into this perpetual state of fear, which you see every day, in plain sight, walking down the street, masks on, almost scaling the walls, like we're not going to go near anybody. And so, you know, they're the people we need to help, aren't they? Yes. No, they they, they definitely do need um, they do need a little bit of help in understanding what's what's going on and understanding that there is a world, a whole world of information outside of the mainstream news media. Um, Where do you uh, get your info from? Um, independent journalists um, uh, that I've followed. Basically, I've, I've followed anybody who doesn't have um, conflicts of interest with what they're saying. Mm. Um, that's kind of been where I've tended to, to look for my information. Um, so I, I've been on Telegram, a bit on uh, uh, on Getter as well, um, mm. the, the new social media app there. Um, on on signal in groups with like the the uh, together declaration um those kind of guys and uh, other groups of of scientists and doctors that have um people mm-hmm. that are not conflicted to the pharmaceutical industry who who do fantastic work uh, and you could normally tell who these people are because they've normally been banned by twitter and facebook yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff for actually telling the truth yeah. um and so uh, they're not really hard to find no <laughs> And they're fascinating people as well. Who, um, like, I think, one of the the main things that's part of their main focus is protecting kids, right? Yeah. Because we've seen the rollout of the uh, the inoculations on children, even against all the scientific yep. advice. Uh, and now it's like five to eleven year olds. Um, but like because of the nature of the, my podcast, you know, I get DMs on a daily basis from healthcare workers who are now coming speaking out. Uh, parents who have been coerced um, into having their kids jabbed. I had literally a message two days ago from a lady saying that her son is never going to be able to play football again because he's now got myocarditis. And this is happening all over the country. Wow. Um, and myocarditis, obviously, is inflammation of the heart. Um, and only 50% of people that have myocarditis like have another five years of life left. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's absolutely horrendous. And those of you who've seen that the real data that come out only a few weeks ago, showed that there was only one child under the age of 15 that had passed away like solely from COVID in two years. Yet we're talking hundreds yeah. of kids with myocarditis. We're talking uh, there's triple figures now of children deaths from the from these, unbelievable, from these vaccines. Unbelievable how they would how would you, you could be so evil. I think it's the word I'm looking for mm. uh, to actually give this to children knowing that the risks far outweigh the benefits. How mm. those people sleep at night just baffles me. Yeah. 
No, it generally doesn't. It, again, this these are this is our future generations, the the people that are going to you know drive this world forward, um, and to see in a, a for me an attack on them is an attack on all of us. Yeah, absolutely. As as a parent as yeah. well. I mean, I, I I've I've got a twelve year old daughter, and I don't want her to to grow up in the world that we're heading towards, and that's why I've I've been speaking out. Um, you know, I'm 53 years of age now. I, I've grown up and had a had a lovely childhood. I had a great career, um, and, I, and I've had a wonderful life. And I just want my daughter to have, be able to have the same chances in life that I had. Mm. And the way it's going at the moment, she's not going to get that. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of parents feel the same. My, I myself included. You know, I'm always thinking. You know, two, three, five years ahead. Like, you know, what can we do? What environment can we create to give our kids the best? future looking forward like is it in this country i don't know yeah you know, it's what we've questioned it yeah um i think any time will tell over the next 12 months like how things will shape out you know i, I do believe that the the narrative for them is crumbling massively um in a lot of elements the good guys are in control i think um and i hope so just looking past all the smoke and mirrors i think there is a brighter future there People just have to open their eyes, I think, a bit yeah. more just to see that light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I think I think that's one of the, the, the main things moving forward. I think people need to do is and use your time to, to collectively come together uh, and drive community forward, I think, yes. in a massive positive way. I think it's right. And I think you're right with the community side of things. I think it's right to try and build um, a, a solid base from the community um, and, and then work your way up from there uh, because... You know the the political process, I think, is so corrupt at the top that the only way you can kind of really change it is to to build a good base at the bottom and, and start building upwards from the from the grassroots, and then start getting like-minded people to um, you know get into your local politics. You know, um, mm. would you say like driving it from the grassroots up, but maybe have like a steering group for like that village town? Um, city mm. um, it, I, I really like the idea of this and then um, that they vote on policy not a person yes yeah I, I think that's absolutely right I've never really understood why um, the the whole thing about the, the whips in the in the parties and stuff to uh, I, I've always felt uh, even from a young age I've looked at things and gone well why are you forcing people to vote one way when maybe their conscience is telling them to vote another way? Mm. Um, and it never, that never sat right with me. Um, and it's only kind of now uh, where I've had time to reflect upon things and I haven't been busy with my career and stuff that I've actually been able to, to look at it and, and it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. You know, um, you know if, if the politicians really wanted to represent the people then surely they should look at each policy that is put forward into the house of commons and not not have to vote the way my party is voting mm. you know that that doesn't make sense to me mm. uh surely you can have uh, a system where a policy is put forward um and you can be able to have your own vote on it and take into consideration, you know, where you are, your constituency, listen to your constituents. And if they're telling you by the majority to vote in a, in a different way to what your party is telling you to vote, then, you know, surely you should be able to do that without fear of reprisals mm. from your from your party. Yeah. I think that's been an issue with uh, my local MP after a couple of meetings with him is that... Um, I queried, you know, what, why did you vote for mandated vaccines on NHS workers? And his answer was like, it, his, his vote automatically goes on to, to what the party, because um, he's a front bencher, so uh, it automatically goes to the actual, um, what they actually want to vote for. So he actually doesn't have a say in it. Um, again, I don't f see how that is fair and how that works. No, no, I, I think you're right. And do you know, the other thing that I, I've mused about over the last few months is that really big decisions for the country that weren't in you know the manifesto of, of whatever party gets in 
the, the really big decisions. With the technology that's available to us now, it would be really easy to have referendums mm. um, and really take a, a, a true idea of what the country thinks about that something that you're going to try and bring in. Um, it would be really easy now to be able to take a, a, a straw poll of the of the population to to say, well, do the majority of people want this? You know, and is this going to be beneficial to the majority of people? Mm. Um, and why why couldn't you do that? Yeah, with the technology that's available now. I, well, I think Surely we perfectly could, but I think the key thing that you mentioned there is like what the majority want. But I think the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've been almost driven into a society where the minority makes the most noise in, Absolutely. in so many different areas. And yep. we're seeing it like through indoctrination at school, yep. um, which is just makes the system even more broke, the educational system. Um, so when you know teenagers and that leave school and are old enough to vote and stuff, they don't even understand like what they're voting on. No. I mean, I didn't, to be honest, when I left school. Uh, and I, I, I'm not sure that I've ever voted in a general election, quite frankly. Um, and I don't know it's just because I thought it was pointless because they're all corrupt anyway, so it doesn't really matter what my vote does. Mm. And as I get older, I'm I'm actually thinking, yeah, I was probably right to think that yeah. way. <laughs> um, uh, but I, the, the one thing that I've been thinking about this the last few weeks about schooling uh, and it now amazes me that when you go to school you don't get taught in school um, anything about proper life life you know real life yeah and and the things you have to do in real life so when I was at school I never once had a lesson at school about how to look after your money. No. How to budget. Still the case, obviously. And absolutely. I don't still think the they case. want you to. Yeah, why wouldn't why would they not teach mm. you about mortgages? Mm. Why would they not teach you about uh how to save money? Mm. You know, nobody nobody mentions that. You just go, oh, just put on the credit card. Yeah. Well, I think the kids are set up, I think, to to go and work for someone. There's no, nothing entrepreneurial in any it just, education. It just looks like they want to get them into debt as soon as they possibly can. Yeah, in the in the cult. That, yeah. That's basically it. So you then become dependent on the government, dependent on the banks, dependent on big food, big tech, big pharma, and you end up in that perpetual cycle, uh, which you know a large percentage of people just don't get out of. Mm. You know, I, I know so many people, especially from like the military as well, they just that you know because you've got that security bubble. Yeah, they just end up in so much debt. Yeah, you know, and constantly paying off tax-free cars and all this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, you're not taught about any of that kind of stuff. No. Um, did you not use trigonometry like on the field? You know, when you're about to take a free kick. Did I use trigonometry? <laughs> uh, <laughs> not really. Um, I just used. What that, that's, I was, the kind, that's the kind of stuff my son says. Just like, use what I was seeing in my eyes. <laughs> what I could feel and what I could see. Well, here's a question about football, uh, you know, to put a bit of more of a positive spin on things. Um, obviously, apart from the goals you scored against Man United, because they were bang average, um, <laughs> what what was the best goals you scored? Um, the best goal, technically, I feel that I scored was a goal at Blackburn. Mm. Um, so, from about 35 yards, where I yeah. whipped it in the top corner with my right foot. Mm. Um that was kind of one of the one of the best ones. What I felt was the the best goal I scored. Um, there were a few other decent ones that I was proud of. Uh, there was a, a goal against Newcastle where I flick it over a couple of defenders, mm. run round them, and slot it in the corner. Um, I think that's in the top ten, I think. Yeah, there was ever. another goal in the same game where mm -hmm. I took it on my thigh and volleyed it in the in the top corner yeah. uh, to win the game. Um, so that was pretty special. To have those two goals in the same game was uh, was pretty cool. Um, a lovely chip against Peter Schmeichel, which uh, was really nice, which I'm sure you'll be delighted about. Ne never, scored, never saw it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I scored a half volley against Liverpool after 27 seconds in a, in a, in a game on Valentine's night. Oh, nice. Um, which kind of 25 yards out, it never left like the whole way. It was just like a foot and a half off the ground. Mm. It was just like it hovered over the ground and just flew in the corner and Bruce Groller. It was past him before he even dived. Um, so that was quite a nice one. Yeah, there was there was quite a few good ones. 
Did you, because um, I don't know if I've ever heard you say this on a podcast, obviously, because you're at Saints the whole time. Did you, um, did, uh, you must have had plenty of offers to go to bigger clubs. Yeah, I had a few. Mm. Yeah, I had a few. Um, I nearly joined Spurs when I was 21. Uh, that was that was the, the only club that I ever actually spoke to. Who was the manager then? Terry Venables. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. yeah, so a decent gaffer. So that was 1990. Mm. Um, uh, then a couple of years after that, Liverpool. Uh, there was interest from Liverpool. Um, and then in 1995, uh, Chelsea tried to buy me when Glenn Hoddle was their manager. Mm. Uh, Matthew Harding was the um, uh, had just kind of invested in Chelsea, and he was a big fan of mine apparently. And um, uh, so I I'd, I'd kind of heard that uh, this this guy was looking. I think he was buying off Ted Bates. I think he was trying to do a deal to to buy the whole club. But he was director and he was investing in in the club. Uh, and I'd heard he was a big fan, so we turned up at Stamford Bridge to play. Uh, and Matthew was stood in the corridor between the the home change room and the away change room. So as we came in, he kind of st- he stopped me and said to say hello. And then he uh, he took his wallet out, <laughs> and I was like, "Hi, oh, hi, <laughs> try and give me a bung here." <laughs> and he he took out his wallet, and in his wallet he had one of them Panini stickers mm-hmm. uh, of me, and uh, and he he handed it to me and gave me a penny. Went. Would you mind signing this for me? So I signed uh, um, my name on there, and he popped it back into his wallet. I thought, oh, that's nice. And then uh, a little bit of time after that, they they tried to buy me, and uh, Matthew Hardinger rang Laurie McMenemy, who was director of football at Southampton, uh, and he rang Laurie and said, "Oh, we we want to buy Matt Latissier." And Laurie McMenemy went, "Well, we don't want to sell him." Uh, the lad's happy here, he, he didn't want to go anywhere. And um, and Laurie turned around and he said to Matthew Hardy, he said, in fact, he said, the only way Matt Letizia will ever be your player is if you buy Southampton Football Club. <laughs> and Matthew Hardy turned around and he went, oh, that's a good idea. He said, <laughs> he said I could buy them and I could change their name to Chelsea on Sea. <laughs> so Laurie didn't think any more of it. And then a couple of days later, he gets a, he gets a letter in the post. Uh, and inside this letter was a cheque for £7 million, which was quite a lot of money in 1995, which is what Chelsea were offering to pay to buy me. Mm. Uh, and it and it was made out to Chelsea on sea, £7 million signed by Matthew Harding. <laughs> Brilliant. And, uh, and so Laurie had kept the cheque all this time, and then about two years ago, uh, he, he said, no, he said, he said, this was about you, really. He said, you should have this. So I've got in my office, I've got a little frame and a cheque for seven million quid signed by Matthew Harding, who sadly passed away in, mm. in the helicopter crash about a year after that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's the most frustrating thing to look at a cheque for seven million quid knowing you can't cash it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, well, I, just wanted, I just wanted to go uh, do this little game that I did with uh, the, the Right Said Fred Boys the other week. So, oh, um, yeah. So uh, I, for the, for I was the, chatting with them last Friday at the yeah, Together so, Declaration. So, so for the viewers... Um, some may rem- remember this thing on MTV called Celebrity Deathmatch. It was basically where it was cartoon celebrities versus cartoon celebrities, and then it, it, it used to be scrap and there'd be a winner. Uh, <laughs> so I did, I did it like a virtual one with um, with the Right Said Fred Boys over there, like basically who would win. Oh, okay. So uh, we went through a couple of obviously bands versus bands. I said uh, Girls Aloud versus Spice Girls, and obviously um, I said I said, oh, what about Right Said Fred and uh, Oasis? <laughs> and they generally thought that they smashed the Gallagher's up, yeah, uh, which was quite funny. Fair play. Um, I'm not too sure, lads. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go through a few footballers. So you've got okay. people who, who you think would win a celebrity death match okay. between these two people. Go on then. Okay, so first we've got Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira. Ooh. Um, I go. That's a tough one. I go just with Roy Keane, I think. Yeah. He's got mad eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he has, yeah. Uh, I, I noticed that just as like, a fan. Yeah. Um, okay. We've got Pete Michael. Yeah. Bruce Grobbler. Ooh. I go Bruce Grobbler. Bruce Grobbler? Yeah. He's the big Dane. Yeah, because uh, only because... Um, 
Bruce was Zimbabwean and he used to tell me about all these things that he used to go up to in the jungles in Zimbabwe when he was growing up. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I'd go Bruce. <laughs> Fair enough. So Alex Ferguson or Conte? Well, I mean, Sir Alex is getting on a bit now. I think Conte will take him. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, yeah, Conte. I, I think Fergie would get him drunk. Well, but yeah, I suppose there is that. Yeah, he could probably drink him under the table. Yeah. Yeah. If it was a drinking death match, I'd take Fergie. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Tony Adams. Yeah. Martin Keown. Oh. Uh, I'd go Martin Keown. He's got the mad eyes like Roy Keane. Mm. He's got them, yeah. And I know because he used to follow me around the pitch. He used to man mark me when I played against him. Fucking horrible. Not nice memories. Um Gattuso, the Italian. I know him, yeah. Paul Lintz. Uh, I, I think Gattuso. Yeah? Yeah, I think Inti was a fraud. He wasn't as hard as he made out. <laughs> <laughs> you had it here, ladies and gents. <laughs> the um, governor, not having the governor. <laughs> okay, last one. Uh, who do you think would win between Matt Letizio and Alan Shearer? I want a scrap. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. I'm not a fighter, really. Shearer would probably win that. That's why we'll edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like fighting. Well, you heard it. You heard it Al. He's, he's a strong boy, Al. Yeah. You, you heard it. It depends. Mr. You heard it, Mr. Shearer. Uh, Matt Letizia, he's a lover. No fighter. <laughs> I never said that either. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure, Guys and girls, uh, I hope you took a lot of information from the things we discussed today. Um, and, you know, I wish you all the best in everything you're doing. You know, you're doing amazing things, get around the country, talking on a lot of shows, um, giving people a lot of insights to what's actually really been going on over the last couple of years. And I think more importantly, it's, it's not trying to ram information down people's throat. It's just trying to, like, guide people to where people can find more information. Yeah, and, and I, I hope that, what I was saying is not coming from a, a an extremist point of view, as some people are trying to yeah. try to paint me as. Um, you know, I'm I'm a a very easygoing bloke who likes to evaluate both sides of an argument before I make a decision. Mm. Uh, and I think everybody should be given that opportunity to do that. Um, and the fact we haven't been able to do that worries me. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I, I'm sure. Many people tune in and feel exactly the same way, uh, and have their own frustrations, you know, from you know family members and and friends that just haven't been able to really see what's really been going on. You know, I, I'm one of them, and I'm sure you know majority of people watching are, are in the same category. Um, but no, thank you so much for coming on, taking time out of your busy schedule, um, guys and girls. If you've liked today's episode, please give it a share, give it a like. Share it with your friends and family because what we're trying to do here, as you all know on the AJ Roberts Show, is trying to educate people into what's really been happening over the last two plus years. Um, but more importantly, how you can actually get use the information for yourself to basically create a much brighter, you know, second future, really, with the way things are going. So I hope you got a lot from that today. But from me, Matt, take care, and I'll see you again very soon on the AJ Roberts Show. <laughs>